if you have your Bibles, uh, I want to ask you to retrieve them and open them up to <clears throat> Revelation chapter 17. And like I said, this is a... Um, this is a, these next two chapters, actually chapters 17 and 18, deal, it's, it's pro, it is the longest uh, concise uh, prophecy, definitely in the New Testament, quite possibly you could say in the Bible, because there's no break here. Uh, it's talking about one major subject, and it's covering two whole chapters, and it's Mystery Babylon. Anybody here ever hear of Mystery Babylon? Our kids, yeah, y'all have, because we just talked about it, right? <laughs> uh, but it's Mystery Babylon. Uh, it's this mystery of this, this city, uh, Babylon, and this you know, woman riding this beast that we'll, we'll get into. Uh, and, and so I want to read this uh, and try to add a little bit of light on it. And uh, we'll see how far we're able to get uh, today. But I'm planning on taking uh, today and next week on chapter 17 and 18. Uh, but I hope to, uh, ho hopefully it'll make some sense as we get, as we march through this. So I just want to read this whole chapter first. And then we'll go back and try to <clears throat> um, break this down a little bit. So starting with verse 1 in chapter 17, it says... Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is sitting on meeting waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind of wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not and is the eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And then the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast." These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they are the beast. Uh, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make war. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. And we pray that God would honor the reading of His Word. Amen. 
Okay, so um, if you were to do a very quick, casual Google search on Mystery Babylon, there is going to be a plethora of stuff that's going to pop up. And everybody has had um, uh, a multitude of opinions on who this is. This is a pretty important section here in Revelation. But what you need to remember while we're talking about this is that he's describing this place, this woman, this beast. He describes what it is. And then he's describing also the judgment and downfall. Did you catch that in just this one setting here? This isn't something separate. We've already looked at and basically already seen almost the complete outcome of Revelation. This is a subset, if you will. This is like, okay, out of everything that's happened, I need to talk to you about a specific issue. In other words, it's not that this is happening afterwards, okay? This is involved in the bold judgments and all that. So all of that has technically already transpired. All we're going to see now in just a, in a little bit as we finish this up is the millennial reign and all that kind of stuff that happens there at the very, very end. Uh, but the bulk of what we've already studied, the bulk of this tribulation period, we've already gone through it. Uh, this is looking back at a section of that time period um, of something of vital importance. And so it's called mystery, uh, it's usually called mystery Babylon. So when, if you were to do a Google search on this, the prominent thing you're going to see that's going to pop up, anybody here got any guesses on who people think that the uh, mystery Babylon is? But most, most people are going to say that it's Rome, that it's the Catholic Church, and that the Pope is going to be this uh, false prophet and all of that. So, uh, which I don't agree that that's, I don't think that's correct. <clears throat> and if that's your view, just hold on for a minute, because I used to think that, okay? But I don't, I don't think that's the case. Uh, so the, the prominent view is that it's the Catholic Church. Uh, and quite honestly, that has been prominent since, guess when? The Reformation. <laughs> uh, that's when it became prominent. Uh, the other view is now is that it's the United States uh, as a whole, or that it's New York as a city because of its wealth and opulence and the uh, uh, central hub of economics. Um, I don't think that's, I don't think any of those are correct. And then there are some that also believe that it's Jerusalem. And I don't believe that's correct uh, either. Um, and I, I want to show you some things uh, about this. So, first of all, I want to give you, uh, can you jump ahead to this slide that's got the seven uh, points about uh, MB? There it is. You might want to take a picture of this, and I don't because I don't think we're going to completely finish everything today. Uh, well, you can tell I was tired. I can't count. <laughs> I've got five in there twice. <clears throat> um, so, <clears throat> a few things that we're we're going to try to go through here is that, and these are points about her. First of all, she's a city. We're told that here and also in the next chapter. Let me get out of the way here if you're kind of trying to take a picture of that. <clears throat> um, thanks. Look at there. Got it fixed for me. Um, <clears throat> is that she's a city. And we're told that here in these passages that it's a, it is a place. It's a city. It's a real place. Secondly, she's, she's in the wilderness. He takes her... He, he, John is taken out into the wilderness. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, she's seated on many waters, and then that is described for us. So these are some specific details, because watch this. If we're going to try to determine what the mystery is, right? If you're trying to solve a puzzle, would you want to try to solve a puzzle or put a puzzle together if you've only got half the pieces? And then tell yourself, oh, there's the puzzle. I fixed it. 
right? No. Uh, anybody here like to put puzzles together? I like to put puzzles together. It's, you know, it's, it gets addicting, right? <clears throat> uh, and when you're looking for that one piece, doesn't that drive you crazy? You know, you almost dream about it. Like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to look at it one more time before I go to work or whatever. Um, well, it's because you, know, you want to get it solved. Well, the problem with all these other theories that I've already told you, they have some things that fit, but not all, which means it's only, well, it's not correct. I started to say it's only partially correct. How can it be correct at all if you don't have all the pieces, right? Uh, so it can have some similarities, but that doesn't mean that you're even working on the right puzzle. Does that make sense? So um, anyways, we're going to talk about her sitting, uh, seated on many waters. And she makes the kings of the earth drunk on her wine. Uh, we're we're going to try to figure that out, okay? Uh, she's described as a prostitute. Um, this is important. And we've been going through this, and you see this issue in Revelation a lot. It comes up a lot about this idea of prostitution and uh, sexual immorality. We want to talk about that and the bigger picture of what that's describing. Because keep in mind... If it's talking about prostitution and sexual immorality, it's talking about a city. So it, uh, uh, if you give it too much of just a superficial understanding, you might miss some things is what I'm getting at. Does that make sense? Because it's talking about a city. <clears throat> Let's go on. It says, <clears throat> she's also described as the mother of earth's abominations. <clears throat> So Yeshua told us in the Gospels that we were to look for the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So we have to keep in mind also, what does this, what does abomination, what does that mean? Okay, uh, we'll get, try to get to all that. Uh, it also talks about that she's seated on seven hills. One of the reasons why people believe that Rome is... Mystery Babylon, because it's a city on seven hills, which is true. Um, and I'll jump to the chase a little bit here, but we were told in this passage that they are also kings. So it's more than just geography. So that makes that other one not really fit. And there's a lot of other ways where Rome just doesn't fit. Uh, it, it doesn't even make sense. Um, and then down here in number eight, it says, uh, and she's riding the beast, look at this, out of the pit. Now, when all this happens, she's riding the beast out of the pit, and he, this beast is giving her power, but that power is going to turn on her. Now, we've read that before, and now we've made it to this chapter, and you should have picked up on that because you've heard it before, where it talks about these People and the beast are going to turn on Mystery Babylon. Not you. Not me. When this happens, this is not the Messiah attacking the, 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 the woman. It's not the 144,000 saints. Bad motor scooter virgins that we've been talking about. Maybe 10-year-old kids. Supernaturally empowered and sealed by God. They're not the ones attacking Mystery Babylon. I'm telling you all this right now because what I'm going to try to share with you is going to become critically important that we remember that. Do I have your attention? Um, because what I'm going to share with you could very easily put us pretty high. We could give us a big bullseye, but I believe it's the truth. In Revelation 18, verse 10, I've got this one in here also. <clears throat> Revelation 18 is really talking mostly about her destruction. 
But I've got this in here because I want want you to see something so that we don't forget this. I've already told you, but once again, I don't want you to believe anything because I say it. Does that make sense? Just because I say it. And I'm going to give you some hypothesis and some stuff that I've read and I've studied and I've looked at this hard, really, for months. But in this last couple of weeks, I've read extensively about it. Anyways, and when you see it says, they will stand afar off in fear of her torment. It's talking about Mystery Babylon. Uh, and say, alas, alas, your great city. You, uh, no, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. So we see right here that it's, it's repeated twice in this one sentence that she's a what? She's a city. Okay? So, that needs to tell us a few things. Number one, I don't think it's America. Um, I don't think it's Rome. I don't think it's, watch this, I don't think it's the UN. That's another very prominent view that it's the UN, and one reason that, that's another reason why they think it's New York City, because the UN is there in New York City. Uh, one of the reasons, well, there's a, a few reasons why some, it's not a huge number of people that believe that it's Jerusalem, is because what most people don't realize is that it started really at World War I and during that time frame with the Balfour Declaration and some other things, and when they came up with this idea, and that's when they did it, a two-state solution for the Jewish people and didn't want to really displace the people in Palestine, uh, and they knew that wars have a tendency to almost always, really, uh, start over religious and political reasons, and they wanted to stop that from happening. And so there's one city in the world where the three major faiths of the world are all focused on. The Jewish faith, the Christian faith, and the Muslim faith. Although the Muslim faith, the idea of them being focused on Jerusalem is a rouge. It's, it's smoke. Uh, it's, it, that's not really the case. But they came up with this idea, and you might not believe this, but it's true. Uh, they came up with an idea back then to turn Jerusalem in, uh, into an independent district like the District of Columbia is not a state in the United States. It's not a normal city within the United States. That's why it's called Washington, D.C., Washington District of Columbia. You got it? And so they wanted Jerusalem to be the same type of thing. It's a separate entity where all the faiths could basically learn how to get along. And the UN already has a place there that has been bought for them to technically, hopefully, they say, literally to move the UN there. And it's on a hill. (laughs) I'm not making this up. When we were in Jerusalem in 1999, I asked our tour guide, I said, this is what I've read. This is what I've heard. Is this right? And I said, and he goes, yeah. And I said, yeah, but I heard that the local understanding of the people that live in this area that have lived here for eons, that this is what this is called. And he goes, that's correct. And it's called the Hill of Evil Counsel. And that's what it's called. So there are some that'll say, that's Mystery Babylon. Because at the end... It's all going to be culminated there. you got the one world government. you got the Antichrist. He's going to stop the sacrifices. All this ugliness is going to be happening. And God's going to come and, and deal out justice and judgment and blah, blah, blah. Well, I still don't think that's the case either because it, if you go back to that list 
there's, there's some things in here that j- it just it doesn't make sense. For instance, <clears throat> uh, the, there's this issue of her being in the wilderness. Let me talk, talk, touch on this just for a second. In here, um, see if I can find it quickly because I, I didn't have the... Yeah, it's in verse 3. Uh, it says, And he carried, away, carried me away in the Spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous, blasphemous names. So, so part of this mystery is, so, so where is this city, right? Uh, well, it can't be Rome. Is Rome in a wilderness? Is New York in a wilderness? Is Jerusalem in a wilderness? No, they're not in a wilderness. And the interesting thing, if you go back to that list again, sorry to make you jump around. Uh, she's she's in, a, in the wilderness, and a lot of people overlook this fact uh, because we just read, we read the Bible too fast, for one thing. We don't slow, da- slow down long enough and to pray and to just analyze what we're reading. We really want the cliff notes. <laughs> you know, we want the download. We want the cliff notes. It doesn't work that way. And part of the thing, too, is that it's a mystery. But what I'm going to show you today, it's one of those mysteries hidden in plain sight. Right there in front of us. So part of it is, okay, it's a, it's a wilderness. Well, that word wilderness, this is what's amazing. It can be translated desert. Huh. So it's a city in a desert. And she is seated on many waters. So we're told in this passage also that the waters are many nations, languages, and peoples. That's talking global, right? Nations, languages, and peoples, many of them. So it's a city in the desert that is controlling and having influence on because she's seated over them. That's a, that's a picture of control. All right? Many countries. This is where also a lot of people, well, they fall back saying, you see, it's Rome because the Catholics are everywhere. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, uh, well, that's true. And, and Christians are everywhere. And Jews are everywhere. And Muslims are everywhere. I mean, I, I, that's, that's a pretty weak analogy that she's actually controlling them. And, and then I want to talk about number four just briefly and just kind of start to get you to thinking. <clears throat> so it's a city. It's in a wilderness, a desert area, can be translated desert. Uh, she is controlling many countries, many nations, languages, and peoples, and she's in the she's in the desert, right? But there's another mystery because she's making the kings of the earth drunk on the wine of her abominations. How are you going to grow grapes in the desert? Right? Well, what if it's not that kind of wine? What if it's oil? Hmm. Pull up the first picture, Matt. This is a picture. Anybody here ever hear of Mecca? All right. This, and this is why the bullseye just got big. Do you know what this is? It's called the Kaaba. I've got this here because I want you to understand that what you're seeing, this is people. And people are 
there's a fancy word for it, but they are walking in a circular motion around this 24-7-365. It's not this crowded 24-7. This was probably taken during the Hajj of Ramadan. The Hajj is, it's their, they are required once in a lifetime to travel to Mecca. I think it's 1.6 billion Muslims in the world to travel to Mecca during Ramadan one time in their life. They can go anytime, uh, but at least one time during the month of Ramadan, their holy month. Um, this building, and I believe this right here, is uh, where the Kaaba stone is. It's a black stone. It's encased in a silver encasing on the corner. And they are taught that they not only have to do this, and they pray, every Muslim in the world prays five times a day facing this, no matter where they are in the world. They have apps on their phones that are designed specifically that no matter where you're standing, you can turn and know that you're facing towards the Kaaba towards Mecca, to pray five times a day. And the idea right here is that when they come, when they finally make it up close enough and they touch or kiss the stone, that that process will erase their sins. Okay? Now, go to the next slide. I want you to understand just so that you can try. I'm doing this to, to try to help us wrap our minds around something. These are the tallest buildings in the world up until um, here pretty recently. So you've got the Sears Tower down here, the Freedom Tower here in New York. This is the Royal Clock Tower sitting right next to the Kaaba there in Mecca. And it's built. It is, it, this is the largest one structure building in the world. When you take all of this together. And there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven major skyscrapers. This one is the tallest building in the world in Dubai that you can see how tall that is. To give you, I just want you to try to understand how big all of this is. And these are pictures sort of to scale so that you can understand the massive difference between this and all of these other buildings and at least the height of, of this one. Does that make sense? If you go to the next slide. This is not rivers, these are people. Traveling by foot to get into the building. As far as you can see. These are the size of highways. So that you see the size, here is one person. So you understand the scope. I just want you to try to see. I had to do this in multiple pictures. I couldn't find one that would help us understand how big and massive this is. You with me? So these are rivers. Those are tents back there. And they travel in their lifetime at least once. They're required at least once during Ramadan, but are encouraged to go as often as they can afford to go from around the world to get their sins erased um, in front of this building with a stone in it, a black stone that they're 
positive is a meteorite, that it fell from heaven. And I won't spend any more time on that, but just so that you, if you go to the next slide. This is, uh, and you're still not looking at the building that I just showed you. Um, here is the Kaaba, and all of this is people. This is um, Mecca, the city of Mecca, at night, uh, where this is still going on during that month of Ramadan. I want you to pull up the next slide, please. There's the building. And this little square right here is the Kaaba. You're starting to see the scope and the size of this. If you thought that the Muslim world were uh, backwoods Bedouins living in tents, it is the exact opposite of that. Okay? Um, pull up the next one, please. Now then, so that you could try it, <clears throat> I want you to see something. Right here is Mecca. This is not a good um, uh, picture here, but this city right here is called um, Jeddah. I believe it's J-E-E-D-A-H, I think, really, the way I've seen it spelled. It's just a little ways away from Mecca. Okay, Mecca is not on the port, but it is extremely close. But here's what's interesting. There's this city and Mecca and another city being built right here, right now. The size and scope and amount of money that's being poured into this conglomerate is unparalleled in the world in size and scope um, it's it's beyond your imagination if I could just try to I, I don't even know how to describe it all to you uh, it's already well into construction they're also building uh, a tunnel system a rail tunnel system connecting all three of these cities to where you could make it to any city within 20 minutes. Um, now, <clears throat> while you're looking at this map, um, there are, like I said, I think it's 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. And I want to take you on a little, just a real short history lesson. Because if you don't know the past, you don't understand what's going on, right? Uh, and I don't know about you, but I usually don't pull up a map of Saudi Arabia very often. You might go, I, I know it's over there, but kind of where, right? You know, because it's, it's not on our radar, right? So World War One. during World War One. This whole area up here, which included Iran and farther, Saudi Arabia, part of Egypt, Turkey, the, Iraq, Syria, Jor uh, well, yeah, Jordan, Israel, this was part of the Ottoman Empire. It was called the Caliphate, or Caliphate, depending on what part of Texas you're from. Um... And at the, at the end of World War I, because Britain was involved, uh, Russia was involved, um, and Russia was falling apart in World War I on the verge of total collapse. Britain was worried about losing the war. And I think it was two men got together I don't know if Lord Balfour was one of them. I can't remember now. I have to go back and look again. I'm doing this one off of memory. But 
they encourage the Balfour Declaration to be accepted by, they actually encourage them to write the Declaration. If you're not familiar with it, go home and Google it. It's a short letter uh, written by Lord Balfour to the Rothschilds saying that there needed to be a homeland for the Jewish people. Actually, it doesn't say homeland. It says a home. They were real politically correct. But the interesting thing is that these two men that pushed for this to happen, their main reasoning for it was they knew that the land, that the nation of Israel needed to be reborn before the Messiah would come back. And that was the main reason why they were pushing for it. This needs to happen, and now's the time. Never think that you're only one person and you can't make a difference. History changed because two people knew, two men knew their Bible and encouraged Lord Belfort to do this, and he did it, and they had other reasons. But anyhow, so when they did that and they divided all this up, at the end of World War I, because all of this was broke up, they um, established some countries that didn't exist prior. The Saud family, Saudi Arabia, the Saud family lived here and they were a Bedouin tribe. They were not royalty. They were one of the Bedouin tribes. They were strong. And in the 30s, after World War I, before World War II, the Saud family solidified a number of the tribes to follow their leading. And they struck a deal with a U.S. oil company to come and dig. Boom. And they hit a pocket of oil larger than anybody had ever seen in human history. And now the world is in the big industrial boom. Now the Saudi... And then he renamed this after his name, Saudi... Arabia. I cannot describe the amount of money to you where you could, any of us here could even fathom to begin to understand the, the wealth. It makes people like Donald, Donald Trump look like somebody flipping burgers at Whataburger. Yeah. The amount of money is mind-boggling. I want to read something to you out of a book that I've read by Joel Richardson. He's a great writer. Uh, he's got a book out called Mystery Babylon. If this is perking your interest, you might want to go buy it and read it. I want to read something to you from that book. This is just dealing with the spending uh, it's Joel Richardson's, the author, and the name of the book is just called Mystery Babylon, Unlock, Unlocking the Bible's Greatest Prophetic Mystery. Um, this is from, uh, what is it? Well, it gave me a location. I can't tell you the page. I did it out of my Kindle. Uh, I just want you to understand that <clears throat> Saudi Arabia has been spending money uh, to spread their version of Islam, because the Saudis uh, follow this, it's called Wahhabi, it's like the, well, I want to say the difference like between Baptist, Methodist, what, you know what I'm saying, it's that kind of thing, except um, they actually hate each other. I mean, Baptist and Methodist, we just fight to get to the restaurant first, but they, they actually hate each other. Uh, then you, you got the <coughs> Shiites and Sunnis. Anyways, <coughs> Iran hates Saudi Arabia. They actually call her a prostitute. Imagine that. 
and they spend money. I'm going to read you this just so that you can start to wrap your brain around. Just, and this is one small part of this. These are all just statistical facts. It says, just how much are the Saudis spending to spread the message of Islam? In 2005, former U.S. CIA Director James Woolsey testified before the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Government Reform that some 85 to 90 billion dollars has been spent from sources in Saudi Arabia in the last 30 years spreading Wahhabi beliefs throughout the world. According to Youssef Butt, a nuclear physicist and visiting senior research fellow at the Center for Technology and National Security Policy at the National Defense University, exact numbers are not known. But it is thought that more than $1 billion have been spent on exporting fanatical Wahhabism to various much poorer Muslim nations worldwide over the past three decades. It might well be twice that number. By comparison, the Soviets spent about $7 billion spreading communism worldwide in the, year, in the 70 years from 1921 to 1991. Stop and consider the numbers. The Southern Baptist International Missions Board is one of the largest Protestant missionary organizations in the world. Their annual budget is roughly $300 million per year. If the Saudis spent $100 billion over a 30-year period to spread radical Wahhabism globally, that means they've spent roughly the equivalent of the IBM's entire annual missions budget every three weeks continuously for 30 years. The Saudi campaign to reach the nations with the message of Islam is literally the single largest evangelistic or propaganda campaign the world has ever known. Nothing else even comes close. So, um, what am I saying? I'm saying that Mystery Babylon can't be Rome or the Pope. Uh, it can't be New York. It can't be um, Jerusalem. Um, it's got to be a city that is totally 100% anti-Yahovah and Yeshua, His Savior. It's got to be a city that's in the wilderness, desert, that's close to the sea, because we'll get into it next week, when it talks about those in the seaports are mourning over their goods are not being sold and bought. And it even describes the, I think it literally says, I, well, we'll get to it next week. Uh, it talks about those in the sea. Uh, and then it says that everybody is getting drunk on her wine. Well, this wine started literally bubbling up out of the earth about 70 to 80 years ago that turned an, uh, a nobody in the Arabian desert into the number one most powerful family in the world. And they have bought up everything, including your politicians, all of them. And if you don't think that's true, you just need to do some research. Republican and Democrat alike. You see, everybody's got a price. But when there's no end to the well, 
the sky's the limit. I could go on and on and on. It's mind-numbing. Mind-numbing. Even places like Fox News. Yeah. Major shareholder. Most wealthy man, individual prince in the world. One of the Saudis. The king decided to put one of his sons as the potential heir to the throne. And over the last few weeks, he's been rounding up all of his family and either killing them or putting them in prison. Got to get rid of the competition. Um, There's a report that there was an assassination attempt on one of them that happened to be in Las Vegas not long ago on the same night as the murders. Um, The Kaaba, according to the Quran and their most extreme version of Islam, they do believe and are taught that at the end of time, that that stone, you can't make this stuff up, is going to come to life with eyes and a mouth. The Muslims also are waiting for Yeshua to come back. Did you know that? I didn't until just a few weeks ago. I've got a lot more research to do. But their version is that they believe that Yeshua was a a prophet like Muhammad, but not better than. The Muslim belief do not teach and they do deny Yeshua as the Messiah and Yahovah as the one and only God. And we're told in the book of 1 John, this is how you know the spirit of the Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. They believe that they want Yeshua to come back because they have been taught that when Yeshua comes back, He's going to tell everybody, your version of the Bible is backward and you've been lied to and Muhammad really is the prophet and Allah really is the one and only God, Alua Akbar, the great God. And that's what these 1.6 billion people are being taught. The kings of the earth are truly drunk on the oil from Saudi Arabia. Our own country during World War II sacrificed a whole shipload of Jewish refugees for oil. And then we go over there to deliberate them because we're the great saviors. You don't think people aren't playing with your brain and your mind and feeding you false junk? They're doing it every single day. Every single day. They don't want you to know the past. They really don't want you to know what's going on. And I try to show you some of those pictures because when you see that big city here, so, I mean, some of us think, you know, it's, it's a desert. I mean, what, what could be in the desert? I can't, we don't have time to describe the opulence that's, it's off the charts. It's, money means nothing, literally nothing. It's bubbling out of the ground. They artificially changed the price of oil in the 70s so they could get more money. And they said, you know what we're going to do? We'll just turn the spigot off. We'll turn the spigot off and then we'll artificially raise the price up and we're not going to let it come back down. Some of y'all here are too young. You don't remember 
people fighting in the streets over gasoline. Anybody here remember that? All you young ones don't. We do. And watch this. <laughs> they hate Trump because he's not a politician. He's an outsider. And they also hate fracking. Because now we're not buying as much. And this thing is a hotbed right now like you wouldn't believe. And the unrest even in Saudi Arabia with all that money is off the charts. You know why? They don't produce anything other than oil. There's nothing there. But who has all the money? The Saudi family. Everybody else is pretty much slaves. And they have nothing. And they're dying and starving. And they see this opulence going on that's off the charts. You got princes that are in their 20s that take a Rolls Royce, plate it in pure gold and turn it into a dune buggy for fun. That's just one. Because it's just one of hundreds, thousands of toys. Because we're not talking millions here. We're talking billions of dollars. And so the world has truly gotten drunk on the oil from the Saudis. Wine in the desert. Now, before you get all beat down, because I want to try to not go any longer, because like I said, there's no way to, to cover all this. The thing you got to remember here is that the seven hills, it says are also seven kings. So it's not just geographical, it's seven kings that they are controlling. And how are they controlling them? They're controlling them with the wine of their abominations. The wine is what's bubbling out of the ground and that our government will do anything to keep you and I from rioting because we can't get gasoline. And if we can't get gasoline, we also can't defend our country. Anybody here understand the term entitlements? Right? The problem is when you get a country that's so heavily dependent on entitlements to try to wind it back and put the genie back in the bottle is almost impossible because everybody's become accustomed to and a lifestyle of getting what they want, doing what they're already doing. Right? So it's very hard to roll it back. Why do you think our debt is running rampant? We're now, I think, at $21 trillion in debt. Trillion, the numbers, you can't figure it out. And they keep upping it. Why? Why? If you don't think there's not backdoor deals that are already being done... You and I are extremely naive. In this eventual one world government, don't worry about it, we'll bail you out. Just keep doing what we're telling you to do or we'll turn it off now. That makes sense? But what, so I, I ran across this. I, you know what, I want to close with this because... It just, uh, you ever had those moments where you're reading the Bible and you think about something and a word just jumps out at you and you go, really? I had that happen this week. <clears throat> because here's the good news. Yeshua wins. Hallelujah. Here's the other good news. After all that I've told you, pull up that picture of, the, of Mecca, uh, of uh, 
the city at, uh, it's one right before this one. Yeah, this one. This is not our enemy. Do you understand that? This is not our enemy. We're told in Scripture, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, those that are put in high places that are doing all of this. And I'm looking at this. I was talking to Sonia last night, and I said, I'm watching this. And it was blowing my mind. I was, trying to find some pictures. I was trying to find some pictures that we could begin to grasp a, a, a little bit of this. And I went, it's a sea, rivers, and an ocean of people that have been deceived. Uh, and falling right in line with what we're reading. But they're not the enemy. The enemy are the principalities and powers, the demonic forces that are lying to these people and these powerful people and in that same process, lying to you and lying to me. And even the news you're getting is filtered. Joel Richardson went on the uh, Glenn Beck show with Fox News and he shared all this a couple of years ago and about two or three weeks later Glenn Beck was fired. I'm surprised he wasn't killed. Um, even in Joel Richardson's book and I read as I'm reading it I'm thinking dude uh Good luck, you know, praying for you. And he literally says in the end of his book, please pray for me because if you've, if you've made it this far, you know um, it's dangerous information. It's the kind of stuff that can get you killed. Um, <clears throat> but I want you to understand that that's not our enemy. And the way we deal with this is by sharing the truth. Not necessarily sharing the truth about them, Okay. Because you're not going to stop it. This is, this is all in God's plan, if you will. He knew, knew this was going to happen. This is not taking him by surprise. Our goal isn't to overthrow Islam. You understand that? Our goal is to serve the king. Our purpose is serving the king and telling his truth. And if we can lead one or two or three or a hundred or whatever to the Messiah, hallelujah, we should try to do that. But what I want you to understand, don't leave here, oh, it's the Muslims, it's the Muslims, it's the Muslims. You know, we need to go kill the Muslims or something dumb, right? I was like, no, that is not the issue. I read the end of the book, Yeshua wins. That's good news, right? And, so, and we also don't need to be fearful. But it's important to at least know what in the world's going on. And when somebody tells you, well, you know what? It's that Catholic church. You need to, she's Mystery Babylon. And that Pope, you know, he's the evil prophet. You don't even have to debate it. Just go, oh, okay. Right? And just go on. Because that's not, and that's not even the biggest issue. What if I'm wrong? What if he's wrong? It's very possible. It could be wrong. That's why it's called a mystery. But it sure seems like this all fits down to a T. Every single thing you look at, you go, here it is. On and on and on. Uh, but I read this, and once again, if you, if you hadn't gone through those studies with us, this doesn't really even make sense, but I'm going, okay. So I'm reading this, and it goes, and they are going to make war with the Lamb. Right? Um, this beast and <clears throat> the Antichrist and all this kind of stuff and the kings of the earth. In verse 13, it says, They are of one mind and they hand over their power to the beast. They are going to make war with the Lamb and the Lamb will conquer them. Hallelujah. And it says, For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Can I get an amen, somebody? <laughs> and I'm reading that and I, I used to always think, Why does that duplicate it like that? Why does it say Lord of lords and King of kings? I mean, you know, why didn't he just say, you know, he's the big daddy? I don't, and I, I don't know. I'm just like, why does it always say that he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings? Well, it, it was like the popcorn going off in the microwave. I started, went, really? 
Well, he's the king of kings. But as we've studied, the word Lord in Hebrew is Baal. Yeah. Popcorn going off, purple smoke. (laughs) He's saying that he's the king of all the kings of the earth, but he's also the master of all the Baals. It's not only those in, that are human beings that will go up against the, the Lamb of God and try to kill Him and thwart Him in fulfilling His prophecies. But God is also going to say, that's nothing. But what you need to understand is, I'm also the master of all the other masters. I am the Lord, the owner the overseer, the ruler of all those other Baals. There is none like me. And the one thing I want you to remember as we close is that you'll be thinking, okay, so how do you, because there's so much more, it's, it's massive. And what I want you to understand is that technically what Islam is teaching is the exact opposite of the Bible and the Bible prophecies, but incredibly similar. For instance, um, um, all the, um, the, the waves of the people that are required to go to Mecca at least once in a lifetime to worship before their God, kind of sounds like the millennial kingdom when we're going to be required to go to Jerusalem and worship before the Messiah. The list goes on and on and on and on how it's a counterfeit of the real thing. But what I want you to understand here is that you don't have to, for, you don't have to get as bogged down in all those details. Here's one thing that you can remember that, that gets, that helped Clear, I want to try to help clear the clouds now. I want to help clear some of the fog. God said clearly in His Word, this is how you know that I am God. I am Yahovah who is unique above all other gods, all other Baals, all other fallen demons, and the list goes on and on. He goes, this is how you know, because I am going to declare to you the very end of the matter from the very beginning, and it will happen exactly the way I say. It won't happen sort of. It won't happen kind of. You won't have to do any kind of intellectual hermeneutical jump and jump through hoops to try to make it fit the pattern to help me out. It's going to happen exactly the way I say it's going to happen down to the very second moment, hour, month, and year down to the very point that even the woman who is sitting on the beast and sitting over all these other nations, I'm going to put it in the heart of the beast and in the heart of those nations to devour her. So in the midst of all of the fog, here's what you can remember. Everybody else is copying our God. The statistical probabilities just of Yeshua fulfilling a small portion of the prophecies are astronomically beyond understanding. Not to mention what He's done with Israel, what He's doing with Israel, and what He's doing down to this very day with what he said would happen in Jerusalem, in Israel, in Saudi Arabia, and in the surrounding areas. Everything is happening exactly the way he said. Everybody else can talk about all kinds of other stuff. But God has told us all of this from the beginning. The Muslim faith isn't as old as following Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Quran was written, what is it, in like 
the 1200s or 600s or something. I, can't, I don't remember the date. Uh, and copied off the Bible. So if you ever start to get worried about anything or start wondering, or if you start slipping, you start doubting, or you say, okay, now wait, wait a minute. God has showed us all this stuff. And he said, I'm going to prove to you that I'm God. And that in this process, at the very end, everybody's going to say, wow, he really is God. And he really is the Lord of all those lords. And on top of that, he's also the king of all the kings of the earth. And he's going to accomplish exactly what he said he would accomplish. And you and I don't have to go home fretting over solving the world's problem. That's not our job. Our job is to serve the king. In whatever sphere he's put you in. Does, does that help? I hope it does. I hope this kind of clears it up a little bit with this mystery, this mystery Babylon. Right there in front of our face. Right there in plain sight. Yet Satan is always going, I'd rather you look over here at the smoke. Matter of fact, why don't you just focus on Rome? Yeah, she's evil, mean, and nasty. Yeah, focus on Rome. Matter of fact, that UN, yeah, they're evil, mean. Yeah, focus on that. Focus on anything other than what's right there in front of us. God loves you. He's going to see us through, okay? It's all going to be okay. If you have faith in Yeshua as your Savior, it's all going to be all right. Uh, he's going to see us through this. You don't have to worry about it. But now that you know what's going on, you can kind of uh, be at ease about some things.